This is Democracy or Else, where we're bringing you amazing progressive candidates in down-ballot races, activists, and community leaders from around the country. I'm Cricket Media Sarah Garcia. Today, I talk with Amaris Leone, who is a criminal justice reform strategist for the Working Families Party. Welcome, Amaris. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Why don't we start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So I am a criminal justice strategist for the Working Families Party. We are a multiracial, multi-class, working class party that is looking to build and power and communities that have been marginalized. That being said, I am a lawyer by trade. I chose not to go into the practice of law, you know, in law school, kind of seeing that even good lawyers and good judges were bound by really terrible laws and systems. I wanted to be a part of changing those systems. So I went into politics to help change the face of who is uh, in power and who is in office. That's incredible. And you touched on this a little bit in terms of changing who is in power and who is in office. Can you talk a little bit about what those positions are and why those elections are so important? So the elections that I have specialized in are district attorneys, uh, judges, and sheriffs. These are seats that hold immense power and often go unchecked. And, you know, we refer to them as down ballot races. Um, you know, when it comes time for elections, they're physically the furthest down from the ballot. Um, and so they get less attention. Um, but these are positions that decide who gets put in jail, who is charged with what crimes, if they're offered diversion. Uh, for district attorneys, it's are they offered plea deals? Are those coercive plea deals? Bail. And sometimes in really extreme cases, uh, even deciding who gets to live and who doesn't. Yeah, that is super, super critical. And can you talk about, you know, particularly for folks who come from justice-impacted communities or justice-involved families or backgrounds, you know, these are positions that are law enforcement positions or law enforcement-adjacent positions, and can it, feel, it can feel really hard um, to cast a vote for some of those positions. So can you talk about how people can make those votes in an informed way and and why it's important to still vote for these positions, even though it can be really hard to to, to vote for them in sometimes. For sure. I mean, and I understand the plight. I come from directly impacted communities. You know, I am a queer woman of color. I grew up in foster care uh, and I come from a long line of, frankly, intergenerational and gender-based violence. Coming from communities where I saw firsthand that we were not protected by these systems. Uh, We were ignored and in times preyed on upon these systems. And so it is a reality of mine and people who are like me and come from my communities uh, that these are not typically positions that are there to protect us. The whole reason we have sheriffs in this country in the first place came from the purpose to hunt and catch slaves. And so uh, knowing that history... Uh, Some people ask, why do you even do this work? And um, I thought, what a privileged position it must be in to say, I fundamentally disagree with what these offices do, so I don't want to participate or get involved. Uh, Meanwhile, the reality is they exist. In 47 of our 50 states, these positions are written into state constitutions. They're not going anywhere fast. We need to make sure that we are putting people in those positions whose goal is to reduce the harm that's happening within them uh, and doing what they can to divert people out of the system in the first place. A lot of things that we punish and criminalize 
are really public health crises. Most people don't commit crimes because they simply feel like it. most of it comes from a deficit of something. Uh, and then also we have to grapple with the fact that poverty is not a crime, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is often criminalized. Mm-hmm. Statutes that criminalize loitering, things like that, those are attacks on people who have nowhere else to go. Um, and it's not a matter of harm or not. And so for people who are curious about these races or even uh, apprehensive to get involved, I would say whether or not you get involved, they're going to exist. Uh, and the amount of harm that they do to our communities really is in our hands. We can elect these people out. Mm. And are there some really good examples of some of some people or races where, you know, these conversations are happening or that would be that people should be aware of where a lot is on the line? So in Alamance County, North Carolina, there's a sheriff race on the ballot. Terry Johnson is the incumbent, uh, and we are supporting Kelly White. That is a pivotal race this cycle. The incumbent has been sued under the Department of Justice uh, for racial discrimination and, and racial bias policing. In Frederick County, Maryland, there's another sheriff race to watch. Um, we are supporting a candidate named Carl Bickle. Uh, that incumbent has been charged with uh, and being sued for things like Fifth Amendment violations, um, cruel and unusual punishment, unlawful punishment, and cruel conditions of confinement. In Pinellas and Pasco County, Florida, we have a district attorney's race or a state attorney race um, that they call in Florida that we're supporting a candidate named Allison Miller. She is running against a DeSantis-appointed incumbent. And this is the first general election that those two counties have seen since 1964. And Allison is the first woman to ever run for that seat. Um, So it's historic in a lot of ways. Uh, And in a state like Florida, where you have the governor really doing, in my opinion, some kind of unconstitutional practices by removing district attorneys or state attorneys for declaring that they're going to use their discretion to not uh, seek charges against certain things like abortion. Those are really important things that we need to keep an eye on. And notice that even our reproductive health, these DAs and these sheriffs are at the front line. Yeah. Can you talk more about that? Because I feel like, you know, that's something that not a lot of folks know is how these positions can interact with things like abortion access or even like the immigration system and how these all are kind of tied together and how these positions interact with with those issues. With regard to sheriff's offices um, for immigration, um, sheriffs have discretion to decide whether or not they're going to cooperate with ICE. You know, so there's Three functions of sheriffs. There's policing, there's jailing, and then there's civil enforcement. Uh, In some jurisdictions, like Massachusetts and New Orleans, the sheriffs only maintain the domain of the jail. Uh, They're not out patrolling. But in jurisdictions where you are policing, a sheriff can give orders to say that we're not going to arrest people who have been accused of seeking abortion or giving abortions. In 16 of our states, jailers have the authority to cite and release upon booking. And so Tennessee is kind of an example of that. The sheriff in Tennessee has uh, unilateral authority to release people accused of any kind of misdemeanor um, through legislative powers, as one example. And then DAs can use their discretion to say that they're simply not going to prosecute certain cases because they don't see it as a danger or harm to the public. Uh, So these do have, it's not 
uh, as black and white as we think, these positions really do have very intimate impacts on everybody's life. And once folks, you know, cast a vote for these positions or someone is elected to these positions, how can community members hold them accountable? How can voters hold them accountable? So when you're looking to cast a vote for a candidate, you know, some of the things that I fight for personally and why I'm in this work is to make sure that we are investing in people who want to and the cash bail system, who don't want to participate in coercive plea bargaining, you know, really want to change the structure of accountability and whether or not we're just punishing for the sake of punishment or if we're actually investing in changing behaviors. Uh, and the way to do that and to continue looking at what they're doing after election, mm-hmm. that means that we have to pay attention. Um, so, I mean, a lot of times we have to go look up court records. Um, a lot of times your sheriffs and your DAs, they're going to want to tell people what they're doing. Uh, and so looking at their websites, um, you know, there's a ton of ways to stay involved and to hold them accountable. And as local elected officials, uh, you can call their offices and ask for meetings. You know, this is participatory <laughs> governing. And a lot of people don't realize that. That is super helpful. I'm going to shift gears a little bit to some more fun questions just to kind of get to know you as a person. Yeah. Um, what is your most controversial non-political opinion? Yeah, I think probably my most controversial non-political opinion is that witches and spirits and karma all exist. You cannot <laughs> prove otherwise. Uh, and so I try to keep that karma bank full. <laughs> <laughs> I respect that. It is, it's also, it is the season, you know, it is the yeah. season. of. Yeah. I fully respect that. That is great. Um, what is your favorite free or low budget recreational activity to do in your area? Uh, so I'm a major uh, dork. Um, <laughs> and I also live in DC. I love going and walking around the monuments and um, the Supreme Court and sitting there. And so that's my favorite free thing to do. I feel very privileged to live in the uh, capital of the country and I get to see these monuments and buildings. Yeah. And they're free. The museums are mostly free. It's great. Yeah. Almost all the museums are free. The African-American History Museum is super dope. Those are my fun pastimes. Is there a topic or activity that you could make a YouTube video tutorial series about? Um, I mean, you know, the work that I do, it's endless conversations. Um, So if it's within my realm, it would be about ending policing (laughs) and restorative justice. But if it's outside of politics, I am obsessed with weddings. I think they're beautiful, like flowers, like all of that stuff. I think in another life, if I wasn't so worried about liberation, I'd be a wedding planner. (laughs) That's a, that's a fun combination. You could have a liberation wedding. You can be, you know, beamed. It's great. I mean, they're transferable skills, keeping people on a budget and a schedule. Oh, that's great. Um, is there any content that you're currently consuming that you're really into TV, film, books, anything? Yeah. Um, so I just finished a book, um, called, um, the ending of policing. I'm sure everybody's super surprised by that. (laughs) And as far as fiction goes, I said if I was a teacher, I would have all my students read this. It's technically a YA novel. It's called Pet. Hmm. Um, but they do a really amazing job at breaking down and, frankly, decolonizing all of these notions that we have of what is good versus hmm. bad, really kind of acknowledging that harm happens. And we need to figure out how to deal with that in a proactive way. 
Um, and so the book, what I have taken away from it was, was kind of like abolition without using the words, but it did a really good job at explaining um, that we can and deserve a better world. Uh, and even if we don't have all of the answers right now, we do know that what we're currently doing isn't working. I love that. I'm going to have to add that to my reading list. That is a super, a yeah, that's book. a super inspiring message, especially now and something we all need yeah. to hear. Um, okay. Final question. Um, this is the hardest one. What is your favorite pasta shape and why? <laughs> Ooh, that is hard. <laughs> I would probably say the jumbo shells because I love making stuffed shells. Oh, nice. Yeah. I have yes. not mastered that yet, but those are, they're a fun, it's a fun pasta shape. Um, okay. To kind of wrap things up, is there a question that you wish reporters or journalists asked you more um, or that you could talk about more? Um, you know, we have an uphill battle that we're fighting against. We're fighting against the tough on crime tagline. Uh, and it's easy to comprehend what that is and what that means. But one thing that I wish got more coverage or asked about are the alternatives to policing, to punishment, you know, and what those look like. Like, what is restorative justice? What is the effectiveness of that? Because um, these things are being done on small scale in certain jur jurisdictions. And there's a map for us for the taking to build to scale that there are more effective ways to deal with harm uh, and changing people's behavior to make sure that harm doesn't continue happening. That is not something that sells. You know, people love sensational headlines. We all do it. We all naturally have um, an instinct to respond to fear or anger uh, rather than hope and change and something different. Uh, and so part of that is on us, right? As media consumers, as news consumers, we need to also put a demand in for for learning something new and different. Absolutely. And are there some examples of places that are doing like a restorative justice model that you wish was talked about more? Yeah. So there's an organization called Impact Justice. They are partnering with DAs across the country. They start in the Bay Area. But they're working closely with your DAs and your sheriffs uh, to make sure that they are effective, like diversion programs. Some of them are pre-arraignment, some of them are post-arraignment, and what those look like. You know, there are so many misnomers that restorative justice models are there for victims to help their assailants heal, which is not the case at all. It is for everybody to heal. You know, people don't commit crime in a vacuum, and so when you attack why this person committed this thing and then hold them accountable to that, those are the things that are most effective. Um, one example that I read about, uh, Danielle Sered, one of my favorite authors, she wrote a book, Until We Reckon, and it talks about restorative justice and it breaks down these stories. And she had told the story of somebody who was mugged and beaten up at a bus stop. Both parties agreed to enter into a restorative justice program. Uh, and part of the condition for the person who committed the harm was that he had to walk by the bus stop every day for a year that he assaulted this person and journal his feelings. They talked about the progression of his growth and his uh, reckoning with his own actions. You know, at first, the journal entries were pretty flippant. Uh, and then by the last one, the person wrote, I bet he felt really terrified. Um, and so you could notice and you'll see in his writings that he was actually starting to reconnect with his own humanness uh, and realizing how his actions impacted somebody else. 
And at the end of this, I think it was a year long program. They had to meet each other at that bus stop and shake hands. That's one of my favorite stories to tell, you know, people, um, sometimes when we commit harms and we all do it, right. Um, just depends on the degree in which we commit them and the tools that we're given in order to rectify the situation. Uh, and so when people are, um, come from violence, when they come from poverty, all of these things kind of put us in mindsets that, you know, none of us would ever think we would do. Mm, that was super powerful. Thank you for sharing that. How can folks get involved in the work that you're doing in your organization? How can they help out, get involved and, and get active in this space? Yeah. I mean, I'll put my shameless plug for the workingfamiliesparty.org. Um, <laughs> you can always sign up. We do monthly member meetings and onboarding meetings, um, but we also have races that you can get involved in. Uh, and so looking at your local sheriffs, judges, and DAs uh, and the cycles that they're on, and you can find out um, who's up for election in your own jurisdiction. Um, a good starting point is USA.gov. So they have a really great like state and county breakdown. But also we're happy and would love to have people join the Working Families Party uh, and get involved in races for candidates that we endorse there. Thank you so much, Amaris. This is such a helpful and informative conversation. I really appreciate it. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Democracy or Else is a Crooked Media interview series. I'm your host and executive producer, Shaniqua McClendon. Series hosts are Sarah Garcia, Amelia Montooth, and Ari Schwartz, and they produce along with E.J. Baker, Leo Duran, and Julia Gunther. Joseph Dutra and Leo Duran are editors. Digital direction from Matt DeGroote and social support from Danita Ramesh. Rebecca Rotenberg is our production assistant. If you want to get involved in the 2022 midterm elections, head over to votesaveamerica.com.